Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Last, uh, last September, the Saudi Daisy Church of God was severely damaged by, by a pretty major flood. You can see in the picture there of their sanctuary, what was inside was mostly ruined by the floodwaters. Several months ago, we met a guy who had a vision for second chances. And so he got his hands on these pews that were, uh, that were devastated, and he started working on them. And now one of those pews that seemed like a total loss is sitting in my dining room. Um, you know, since it came out of a church of God, I would warn you to be careful at my house. If you sit on it, you may feel a little charismatic. You know, it seems like it's an in vogue trend right now to, to take old things, damaged things, and to give them a, a new purpose. Uh, be honest, how many of you all are using a, that old console TV as a retro TV stand for the new 60-inch flat screen that's uh, sitting in your living room, right? Um, you can't even give those things to Goodwill anymore. Uh, a friend of mine worked for a company that specialized in vintage lumber construction. Uh, they would look for old barns and old buildings, and they would acquire the lumber from those barns and those buildings. And they would take that old lumber and they would turn it into these incredible creations, these incredible furnitures and cabinets and things like that. Uh, and what's interesting is that if you talk to, if you talk to Carrie, he would, uh, he would tell you about the lumber and where it came from and, and what the holes were, what kind of critter caused the holes that were in the lumber. And, and it was all those imperfections that went into that new piece of furniture that, that gave that furniture its character and and sometimes gave it its price tag, which was, uh, which was often very steep. You know, what many people see as only fit for the burn pile, the right set of eyes can turn it into a masterpiece, all because they have a vision for second chances. In our study through the life of Moses, we have spent a long time at Mount Sinai as a matter of fact, the Israelites have spent a long time at Mount Sinai. They spent a year of their time here at Mount Sinai. Now, that would pale in comparison to the amount of time that they would spend wandering in the wilderness. But here, as we come to the end of their time at Sinai, we, we, we begin to understand something of the value of second chances. If you've got your Bible open today to Exodus chapter 34... Exodus chapter 34. If you've got your place and you're able, would you please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's word from Exodus chapter 34. I'll begin reading in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. Present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, 
And he rose early in the morning, went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord of God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are, whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for second chances. We pray, God, that we might understand the grace of the second chance and we might take advantage of every opportunity placed before us to live our lives for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, some folks argue that there is a contradiction of sorts lurking in the text, and I want us to deal with that before we, we move on. In chapter 34, verse 1, we, we find that God told Moses to cut the tablets and that God would write on them. And then down in verse 27 of chapter 34, we find that God tells Moses to write these words. For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you, and with Israel. So the question that always gets asked is, who wrote on the new tablets? Because in one place it says that God did, and then further down Moses is given instructions to write, and the answer is that God wrote on the new tablets. In verse 1, God said he would make a carbon copy, maybe a, maybe a granite copy, I don't know, of the first tablets, and then in verse 27, God tells Moses to write down the words that he just spoke which were very similar to, but not identical to, the words that were on the first tablets. So Moses would have returned from Mount Sinai with, with two things in his hands, a new set of stone tablets and a written copy of the covenant obligations that God establishes here in chapter 34. One was the word of God that was written by the finger of God. The other was the word of God transcribed by the hand of Moses. So you can tuck that in the back of your memory banks there. So if you're ever asked or confronted about it, you kind of have to say, oh, I remember the answer to that. So now that we've settled that, I want to kind of get back to the heart of the text. Moses receiving a second chance at the Ten Commandments. You know, as I was watching football games yesterday afternoon, one of the things that you see in a football game, and you see it frequently, is when a player makes a mistake, they have a, a look on their eyes that they immediately wish they could take it back, like a mulligan in golf, that, that they could get a do-over, that all the, other, uh, all the other variables could be consistent, but if I could just have one more shot at what just, what just happened, what just failed whether it was a, a, a quarterback who, who, th who threw a well-thrown ball to a wide-open receiver and that receiver missed it, 
uh, or, or vice versa, a, a quarterback who, who threw to a covered receiver when there was an open receiver streaking wide down, right down the field. You just know that they wish that they could have a, a do-over. Let, let me have another opportunity at that play because now I, I see what's there. I see the opportunity that's there. I'll hit the wide open guy or, or I'll catch the pass that was, that was thrown so well. You know what's running through their mind. I just wish I had a chance to do it again. The look in their eyes, the expression on their face. I just wish I had a chance to do it one more time. You know, the Bible doesn't say this, but you have to wonder if Moses had those very similar thoughts when he destroyed the first set of stone tablets. That's a pretty big mistake, right? You know, um, it, it's not one of those minor mistakes that you can just kind of forget about. I mean, he destroyed the Ten Commandments. He had been trusted with a, a precious gift, stone tablets that had been cut out and carved by the very hand of God, and Moses broke them into a thousand pieces. I mean, you know what this is like. If you've ever broken something priceless or precious, you know, you, you, you try to figure out how in the world you can, you can fix it. You can put it back together again. There, but you know deep down inside there's not enough super glue in the world to glue this back together. And so you wonder, did Moses have any, any sort of regrets, that, that sick feeling in his stomach from destroying the, the first set of Ten Commandments? Back in chapter 32, we even see how much emphasis Moses, and he's writing this, so, so you see how much emphasis he put into the value of the first set of commandments. He said back in chapter 32, the tablets, you, you know, the tab they were written on both sides. Uh, on the front and the back, they were written. He's, he's, he's establishing, if you read this and wonder who wrote it and how much was written, you aren't paying attention. It was front and back, both sides. He said the tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. So if you have any question about how important these tablets were to Moses, just read what he says about them. Now, the timeline, it's hard to know exactly how much time passed between the golden calf back in chapter 32 and our passage here in chapter 34. But even if it were only just a couple of days, you know he has to be beating himself up over this. I can't believe I threw the Ten Commandments. I can't believe I, I destroyed the contract that God gave me. And he gave it in a pretty secure form. It wasn't like he had a piece of paper that got wet or blew away. He was carrying literally the things tombstones are made out of. Those things sit out in the, in the yard for a long time. I can't believe I destroyed the Ten Commandments. In the meantime, what's Moses dealing with? He has his own problem here that he destroyed the Ten Commandments, but he's now dealing with the very real possibility that God has washed his hands of the nation, that he is considering leaving them to fend for themselves. He's dealt with a plague upon the nation, and he's even had to oversee the capital punishment of thousands of the citizens who were unrepentant and not sorrowful for the golden calf. I would like to say that things will get better for Moses, but actually what we find is things are going to get a lot worse. 
You know, in moments of despair, it can seem like giving up is the only option. When we're at wit's end, when we're at the end of the rope, whatever analogy is appropriate, it can seem like the only option is to give up. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you're close to there even today. You feel like you've looked at all the options and you can't find a decent option, and so you're left with the only option that seems to remain, and that is to simply give up. Whether it's your career, your goals, your marriage, your faith, even your church, you don't have any options left, and so I just have to give up. Sadly, we even see this pattern reflected by those who, cho who choose to simply give up on life. Listen to some of these statistics. Since 2008, suicide has ranked 10th among the causes of death in our country. And that's, that's remarkable. But it's even more frightening when we narrow the focus. For Americans between the ages of 10 and 34, suicide is the second leading cause of death. For those between 35 and 45, it's the fourth leading cause of death. For many, giving up seems like that's simply the easiest option. Do we ever stop and consider the fact that God might just be ready for something great if we'll stick to it just a little bit longer? You know, we, we can hear Moses' desperation. If you look back at his prayer in chapter 33, verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Moses is reminding God of the words that he spoke, not because God needs reminded. He knows but because he feels like God's not holding up his end of the bargain. Now, we know that's not true, right? Intellectually, we know God keeps his promises. God's not let Moses down. God's not disappointed Moses at all. But we're not in the middle of the mess that Moses is in. I think we can all probably think of times in our lives when our feelers overwhelm our thinkers. And while it's important for us to pay attention to our hearts, we cannot, we must not operate completely on emotion. We have to engage our brains as well. Now, this is by far not the last time Moses will face this moment of desperation. Over in Numbers chapter 11, we find these words beginning in verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans. Everyone at the door of his tent and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. And Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I give birth to all these people? Did I conceive them that, that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. 
The burden is too heavy for me. And if you will treat me like this, listen to what Moses says. Kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Those are hard words. Those are hard words. So if you're having hard times, don't worry, you're in good company. But hard times don't mean that we give up because it's hard. We need to understand a very critical point. The Bible never rewards giving up. But the Bible does reward finishing. There's a major difference between giving up and finishing. Giving up means I can't, I don't want to, I'm frustrated, I'm aggravated, I'm exhausted. Finishing means that I've completed the task that God has given me. In the middle of the mess of these chapters, our human side could look at Moses and say, brother, you got, permi- you got my permission to walk away. These folks are, are wearing me out and I'm not even there. Moses, if you walk away from this, I, I got your back, brother. But instead, Moses cries out to God in the midst of this despair. He says, I want to see your glory. I want to see your ways. And then Moses gets back to work. You see, he's, he's one decision away from giving up. But he's a lifetime away from finishing. Moses would not finish until he climbed the mountain and he laid eyes on the promised land. That's when God said he was done. That's not when Moses gave up. God said you're done and God buried the man. When we consider this idea in the larger context of Scripture, what do we find? James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Hebrews 10, verse 36 says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. More than that, the Apostle Paul says, We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Over and over in the Scriptures, we see this call to persevere, the reward for those who stick to it. And in the contrast, when we look at the biblical characters who give up, then we typically find disaster is looming. King Saul started out okay, but he gave up being king God's way. So where do we find Saul at the end of his life? We see him going absolutely crazy with murderous envy. We see him sitting down at a fortune teller's house trying to conjure up a prophet who had no business being there. He's lost his mind because he gave up being king God's way. We don't even have to look beyond our passage today to see the entire nation of Israel giving up when they get to the promised land. The whole nation said, oh, we can't go. Three men said, we can go. And what happened? Disaster. An entire nation perished in the wilderness while just Caleb and Joshua were able to go into the promised land. You see, the Lord was very clear to Moses When his time was finished, in spite of the fact that Moses had countless opportunities 
to simply walk away. But here's the thing. God wants to teach us through the second chance. In order for us to move forward as a nation, then there's some, some serious work that needs to happen for these Israelites. In order for us to, to get to where God wants us, we got some things to do. When we look at that first set of tablets, they were all God's doing, weren't they? He carved them, he cut, he cut them, he carved them, he formed them, he signed them. They were his autograph front and back, as Moses was clear to point out. No human hands went into their publication. But what happens this time? God says, Moses, come on up. I'll have some new tablets ready for you. They're hot off the press, ready to go. You just pick them up and bring them back down. Now this time, God tells Moses, get your hammer and chisel, son. You got work to do. Get your hammer and chisel, Moses, because this time I need you to cut the tablets out. I need you to carve the tablets from stone. Now, I've never tried to carve stone tablets from a rock in the desert. I've never tried to carve stone tablets from a rock in the driveway. I can imagine that carving stone tablets in the middle of the desert is probably not an easy task. I suspect that there was some sweat that went into the process. I, I suspect that it was harder than anyone would ever anticipate. But it was Moses' task to cut these new tablets of stone that he could take them to the mountain and give to God. What could it be that the Lord would be teaching Moses through this act? I mean, God could easily just make new tablets, right? He didn't need God to, to or he didn't need Moses to, to carve that stone tablet out. He clearly was, was able to take care of the first set. So what in the world would Moses be needing to learn from this endeavor? Well, it turns out Moses has a bit of a temper problem. He killed an Egyptian out of his rage. When he came down the mountain and saw the Israelites dancing and parading and carousing in front of the golden calf, in his anger, he broke the first set of Ten Commandments. Ultimately, it would be his anger that would stop him from going into the promised land as he struck the rock out of rage. Well, if you've got an anger problem, a hammer and a chisel are good teaching tools. If you've got a problem with rage, a hammer and a chisel and a rocky mountain are, are great teaching tools. And just to make sure he remembers, look at what God says in verse 1 of chapter 34. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. So while you're chiseling, Moses, if you ever are wondering why you're chiseling, just remember what happened to the first set, which you broke. Out of his anger. When God grants us the opportunity for second chances, we would be wise to learn the lessons that we missed on the first go-round. We joke with our children a lot. <laughs> I've got a big one and a little one. 
And uh, we, we joke with the big one that, uh, that on the little one, we're, we're, we're fixing all the mistakes that we made on the big one. That's not true at all. But we joke about that. But when we get to that place in our lives, when we're ready to give in, it would be wise for us to see what God would teach us if we press on and continue. If God grants us an opportunity to get right something that we've always gotten wrong, then it really is foolish for us to continue doing it wrong for the rest of our lives. God wants to teach through our second chances. Ultimately, though, when we think about the second chance, we have to come finally to the gospel. Because in reality, the gospel is the ultimate second chance, is it not? Where God gives sinful man the opportunity to be righteous. I mean, that's the ultimate second chance. We, we deserve one thing. Uh, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and so when we look at ourselves in the mirror as, as, as unsaved human beings, we see that our lives are on a one-way trajectory that ends in death and hell. That's what we deserve. If somebody ever says, how are you doing? The answer should always be better than I deserve if you're a Christian. Because what we deserve is, is awful. What we deserve is, 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 is the worst thing you can imagine. But God, by his grace, gives us something completely contrary to what we deserve. Our sin separates us from God, but God extends to us the opportunity for us to be put in a right relationship with him. And here's the good thing. We don't have to go chip the Ten Commandments out of stone to get there. We don't have to endure the, the, the hardship of I broke the tablets. I broke the tablets. I broke the tablets. Why? Because our Lord Jesus hung on a cross and the punishment that we were due, he received. And so when I read the Gospels and I see the Lord Jesus having his back torn asunder by cat of nine tails with each of those lashes you can hear a voice in your head that was mine i deserve that that's my sin that's my punishment i broke the law i broke the commandments I turn my back on God's righteousness. And Jesus says, I'll take care of that on your behalf. And he extends to us this incredible second chance that we receive by faith through his grace. And he offers to take dirty, filthy, wretched, unworthy human beings like all of us. And he says, I'll receive you as my sons.
through the blood of my perfect son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for the gospel? That ultimate second chance that washes our sins away once and for all. We know that in this room today, the majority of those gathered are followers of Jesus. They love, worship, and serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But there may be someone here today. You need to take that second chance. You need to take advantage of the offer that's extended to you. To have your sins atoned for. And to be made brand new today through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can go your own way and see where it ends. Or you can choose to follow Jesus, the only pathway that ends in life. Would you join me in prayer, please? God, how many of us in our day-to-day life find that we mess up. And God, you give us grace after grace, and you give us opportunity after opportunity to make it right. Yet in each of those times, God, that we, we mess up, God, there's an opportunity for us to learn and to grow. Lord, in our day-to-day life, there's, there's probably a mountain of replacement tablets that we've chiseled at. So God, help us to learn from our errors and be obedient to you and follow you, Lord. Thank you for that second chance, that opportunity to, to grow in our, in our walk. But Lord, we also know that in that picture that the ultimate second chance is extended to us through the gospel. I, I could have continued going my own way, but in that moment when I was a young man, you intervened in my life and you extended a hand of forgiveness to me and you offered me forgiveness. You offered me a, a, a new life. You offered me that second chance that I deserve. And Lord, I know the testimony of so many in this room is that same thing, God, that at a point in time in their life, you intervened, you extended that hand of grace, and and by faith they took that hand and they received that second chance that the gospel offers. But God, I know that there's some here today who more than anything in this world need to receive that hand that's extended to them. And so God, I pray that in these few moments that we have, to commit ourselves to you, that they would take advantage of the offer and that they would be compelled to receive the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that, God, you'll give us all perseverance to keep on. In the midst of our hardships, may we endure and persevere. And God, may we seek to finish. May we seek to be obedient to you in all things. God, I pray that you might move in our midst in these next few moments. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.